so I'm glad that I have the opportunity to do it. Um, what my plans are is to study with you from the book of Proverbs and over a period of time. <clears throat> so the next time I'm up here, I'll be in Proverbs, and the next time I'm up here, I'll be in Proverbs. It'll be a while. I have some things kind of sussed out in my head what I want to do. <clears throat> and I, I came to this uh, with a couple of go-to books that, in the scriptures when I read personally that I go to, and Proverbs is one of them. And so I was reading it, and uh, the light bulb went on, something clicked, and I said, hey, this would be something that I can present a lesson on that would be good, uh, would be edifying. Um, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure how everyone in the audience came to know uh, Jesus, how they became Christians. I'm familiar uh, with some of the ways, some of the stories. Uh, Richard has shared a little bit how he uh, came to know Jesus. And I know my wife, Paulette, <clears throat> when we first met, she had, uh, was exposed to his teaching when she was in college or late high school and uh, believed. Um, I've always admired uh, some of you young guys. Um, there are some here that are younger than my daughter. Uh, and I always admire, uh, back and admire young people who really into their Christianity, really into trying to find out what, what Jesus is all about, because that's not how I grew up. Uh, and before I get started, I do want to read, grateful for Chuck for reading from, from Proverbs. I'm going to read this now, and I'm going to read it one other time, because it's important. It's, it's kind of the, the real gist of what I want to speak about this morning. Proverbs 13, or excuse me, Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 18. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who obtains understanding. For her benefit is more profitable than silver, and her gain is better than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and none of the things you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are very pleasant, and all her paths are peaceful. She is like a tree of life to those who obtain her, and everyone who grasps hold of her will be blessed. So, just ponder on that and keep that in your head. It's just going to be the gist of uh, kind of what I want to talk about this morning. Um, as I was saying, I kind of admire uh, the younger adults here who have uh, been pursuing, trying to study, uh, follow Jesus' uh, word in their youth because I wasn't like that when I grew up, when, when I was younger. <clears throat> I did grow up in the church. I think I was in about fourth grade when my, my stepfather was an upholster, and he is a very talented, very talented man in that respect. 
uh, we didn't go to church. My mother would drag us to <clears throat> different kind of denominations. I remember we went to a Methodist church, we went to a Baptist church. Didn't stay very long. Uh, it was kind of spotty. And at any rate, my stepfather was an upholsterer. I always say he was the kind of guy who could take a chair or a couch that somebody didn't want and they threw out on the curb. He could pick that, take that couch into his shop, strip it down, refinish it, and make it so beautiful, so just so. You could probably sell it in any storeroom in any store anywhere. And he's well respected uh, that way. And one of his clients, he used to take my mother uh, with him when he went to see a client. He would have his big uh, bag of samples, fabric, you see on the chairs here, different kind of fabrics or, how, you know, however you wanted your chair or your couch fixed. And he would take my mother uh, with him, and they would kind of go as a team. And one of the clients that he was uh, visiting happened to be a member of the church. They didn't know that at the time. We didn't know anything about that. And while they were going over uh, plans for their, their living room furniture, they were kind of talking a little bit about the church, talking a little bit about God, Jesus, and it clicked with my mother, basically. So they ended up inviting uh, my parents to the church, and it really clicked with my mother. And because she was the one that was dragging us around to the, these different denominational churches. And uh, so we ended up going to church there. I was around fourth grade, something like that. And the reason why I say that I, I kind of admire like young people who are kind of in tune with God's teaching and seeking that out, because really, even though I was kind of brought up in the church, I didn't, I wasn't introduced to it as a a college student or in my late teens. Um, but I have to say that there wasn't a lot of real teaching that I was exposed to. There is kind of the academic teaching, the stories of Jesus, uh, the general doctrine type of things. But not any real substance. And this could just be my bias, it could be my thinking, but that, that's, that's how I saw it. I remember the sermons that we listened to, for the most part, now, as a time reference, this was in, uh, when I was in adolescence, this was in the late 60s. This was when the world was on fire. If you think things are kind of toasty right now, now back then, you had the Vietnam War, you had the Civil Rights Movement, you had the, the rise of the counterculture, Presidents, politicians, you name it, were getting shot, assassinated every other month. It was crazy. When I was in ninth grade, <clears throat> Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And about three months later, one of the Kennedys, it was Robert Kennedy, was assassinated. So this is what was going on when, when I was growing up. And maybe uh, the leaders in the church just didn't have a graph of what was going on. Maybe they were, maybe it was too much. But I do know that the lessons that I heard 
most of the time dealt with don't use tobacco don't use alcohol and stay away from illicit sex okay and when they talked about tobacco it didn't have anything to do with it might harm your health there was some reference to your body being the temple of God I did not remember it In terms of alcohol, there were several, there were a lot of sermons on alcohol abuse and Christians not using alcohol. But in that time in history, alcohol was the very least of it. I mean, marijuana was rising as a recreational drug. People were into LSD. Heroin was ravaging the cities. That was the lessons we got. Alcohol. And then there was sex. The sex was as genie as I saw it, that they wanted to keep into the body. But as we see and look around today, it popped out. Okay? Um, those are the kind of lessons that I heard serial when I was growing up in the church. And I don't remember too much about the book of Proverbs being used. Uh, godly wisdom, how to deal with those things in that way. There was talk about God. But I don't remember Proverbs being taught all that much. Um, and so, as a result, I didn't really have a grasp on what godly wisdom was all about. I understood God as a concept. Okay? And I believed in God as a concept. And that probably helped me through life, not to get too far off the, off the beaten track. Uh, but I, I, I didn't really have any real grasp of godly wisdom or outside of maybe prayer, how to, how to achieve it, you know. And that was the church. Now, if you look outside the church into the world, I could see when I went to school that people didn't have a clue about what godly wisdom was all about. I can remember <clears throat> in science class there was not they didn't really teach uh, that I can remember evolution that wasn't really taught. So there wasn't this thing about oh we we're teaching evolution in the schools. We just we, they they. The closest thing I remember to that, I was in a physical science class, but basically it was in ninth grade, I think, it was a physics class. And we were talking about something I remember brought, I brought up Noah's Ark. And my, my teacher there, my science teacher, was also my baseball coach, just looked at me and he goes, well, that's a bunch of nonsense. That's foolishness. So that's what was going on in the school system. So you had what was happening in church, what was going on in the secular world. That's kind of like how I was, I was brought up. I mean, my family, my parents were good people, but their idea of teaching us spiritual things was having us memorize a 23rd Psalm. So, kind of understand where I'm coming from. 
you go through life, you see people who they always seem to have the right thing. They always seem to know the right thing to say at the right time. You ever run into people like that? They always seem to be doing the right thing at the right time for their own benefit, helping out others. There's people, people like that. And we perceive these people as being wise. They can be older people, be younger. When it's a younger person in the world, they're wise beyond their years. When it's an older person, well, they're a wise old sage, you know. But wisdom, uh, to me, has a deeper, truer meaning than just being able to dole out homilies of truth to people. There's a deeper, truer meaning. And when I read Proverbs, I come to understand that wisdom is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And it's not something that we can totally gain on our own. I'm talking about true wisdom here. It's not something that we can totally gain on our own. Some people gain wisdom through uh, the colloquialism, the school of hard knocks. Yeah, you ever heard of that? Oh, well, I went through the, I graduated from the school of hard knocks. That's how I learned about life. Okay? Well, you can learn some things that way, but it's not the optimal way. Then others learn wisdom uh, through the streets, which is kind of like how I learned a lot of the things that I thought were, you know, sage advice and the correct things to learn. I found out later that it was, these people were kind of nuts, you know, and I, I was listening to the wrong people, you know. Um, you can learn some things that way, but it's not the optimum way for personal growth, okay? You can learn things through formal education. You can, you can go to high school, you go to college, you get different kinds of degrees, bachelors, masters, PhDs, MDs, things like that. That's learning, but there's a difference between academic learning and intelligence and wisdom. There, there, there's, there's, it's not the same thing, okay? So, I think if you're going to gain to achieve true wisdom, it begins by understanding God, God's will, and responding to God in what we're doing here this morning. We're coming here to learn about God, to sing praises to God, to listen to prayers on our behalf, to say prayers on our behalf and other people's behalf. We're interacting with God. We're communicating with God. To have an awe and respect for God. What's awe? Well, awesome. Something that... that we use kind of the word awesome. Oh, that was awesome. But you know, what I, you know what I'm getting at. It's something that's just so great that we feel it's so great that it's just like totally beyond us. It's that kind of respect that we should, we should have for God. And when you have that kind of attitude, that opens up the doors to gaining wisdom. 
God tells us what's right and wrong. He decides what's right or wrong. We don't decide what's right or wrong. He decides what's right or wrong. And then he presents us, he shows us what's right, what's wrong, and how to deal with that. He does that because he's a graceful God. And he does that through the scriptures. That's why we need to be reading the scriptures and trying to and study it, trying to, to, to suss out, to figure out really what it means, what the, the, these, these nuggets of meaning are. Now, in the scriptures, there are several books on wisdom. There's a section of the, the Old Testament that we've divided up into something called wisdom literature. I'll leave something out here, but that's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. Okay. Now, earlier Josh gave a lesson uh, on Ecclesiastes. And we're all familiar with uh, the book of Job, I think. And those two books deal with life and deal with wisdom based on contemplating questions. Okay? Like, why do people suffer? And what is the meaning of life? Okay? Proverbs is not like that. Proverbs is less philosophical, is more practical. It deals with, with daily living. And I didn't know this, but actually Proverbs, I didn't, wasn't thinking about it, but Proverbs expands on themes that were presented in Deuteronomy. And those themes are obedience to God, instruction brings prosperity, and disobedience brings adversity. And Proverbs expresses these themes in terms of wisdom and foolishness. Okay? So what's wisdom? Wisdom is following God's instruction, basically. I want to read something here. Again, in Proverbs 3, 13 through 18, it talks about wisdom. And if you'll notice, uh, that in this passage of Scripture, the wisdom is personified as female. It's called Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. It says that Lady Wisdom in chapter 8, verse 22, existed before creation. That she was there when the Father began his work of creation. It's in 8.22. Working alongside God as he fashioned the hills and set the limits of the seas. Proverbs 8.22-31. I just thought that was kind of an interesting anecdote. So wisdom is following God's instructions. That's doing the right thing. What's foolishness? Foolishness is rejecting God's instruction. And this is how Proverbs uh, kind of reflects these two thoughts. 
Proverbs instructs us on things that should be avoided, such as negative lifestyles, kind of obvious things. Violent men, seductive women, dishonest gain, substance abuse, these are the kind of things that, that, that lead to trouble. And they also, it also instructs us on things that should be pursued. Hard work, discipline, good friends, strong spouses, and good positive conversation. These are things that God wants us to pursue. Now, lack of wisdom can destroy young people before they even get started. Okay? I look back at when I was in school, when I was in high school, and he's a good friend of mine. Matter of fact, I was kind of like one of the family. I remember that they were the Ross family. Okay? And I played football with Danny Ross in high school. He was in, he was in my grade. And I got to know his younger brother, who was a year younger than me. Um, when I was in high school, I was one of the few minorities in the school. Okay? This was, like I said, the 60s, when things weren't as racially diverse as they are now. So even in the northern part of this country, it was kind of rare to see a black kid hanging out at a white family's house all the time. But I was over there all the time. I used to go there after school and hang out, play basketball with, 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 with Doug Ross. And after a while, his mom just said, well, we're having dinner. You want to sit down and eat with us? And I was like, like eating there every night. I was like one of the family, you know? And the father, he would come home. His name was, was Don. He would come home. He worked in the factory, the General Electric Company. And he would come home, and you could see he was bushy. He would just collapse in a chair. He was always just a present personality. I didn't know if he didn't want me around, but he never said anything like that. I was always seemed to be, to be welcome there. Okay? And Dan, when, he, when we were seniors, he, he met a girl. He decided that they said they were going to get married. So they did get married. We graduated kind of the second or third week in June. He must have went straight from the graduation ceremony to the altar. They got married that quick. He'd known her for a couple of years now, like he just, he had just met her. And I saw him about a year later. I went up to college, and I think it was in the summertime. Came back. You know, How's it going? How's your your marriage going? Well, we're divorced. <clears throat> oh, what happened? And he told me that uh, he would come home from work and he'd have to like weave around the dog feces on the porch and in the living room, and his and his wife would be in on the couch watching uh, soap operas. And I guess that went on and on. And he couldn't deal with it anymore, so they ended up divorced. Then I had another acquaintance that I went to, to high school with. It's kind of the same thing. <clears throat> he was married right after high school. 
and I saw him a couple of years later. I asked him, you know, how's it going? Well, I'm divorced. Well, what happened? Well, he used to come home from work every day, and my wife would be on the couch watching soap operas. No food on the table. So finally I came home one day. She was watching Days of Our Lives or something. So I took the TV and I tossed it out the window. Obviously their marriage didn't last very long. Okay. These are people that had no clue about what real wisdom is all about and didn't enter their lives with any kind of foundation of wisdom at all. Okay. So lack of wisdom can destroy a young person's life, really, before it gets started. It can also mess with old people, too. It can make fools out of old people. Lack of wisdom. But I think of that an example. I think about the guy who is going through his midlife crisis. I mean, he's happy with his, his wife and his, his kids. And all of a sudden he hits, I don't know what the age is, about 45, maybe 50, and he feels that he starts contemplating questions that are brought up in Ecclesiastes, you know, what's, what's life all about? So he decides that he's going to go out at that age and find out what life's about, maybe take a chance on destroying his family. There's a total lack of wisdom, of godly wisdom. So it can destroy the life of a young person before it gets started. It can make a fool of an old person. Souls can be lost, all because of lack of wisdom. Okay. The scriptures teaches that we're to walk in the ways of wisdom. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, it says, Therefore be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity, because these times are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. So we have to be careful how we live as Christian people. Okay? And not being frivolous with the things that we do, how we, how we, how we live our lives. Uh, kind of live in a moment-by-moment moment type of way. Uh, just because the times are evil. And that reminds me of when Jesus, if you remember, sent out the twelve in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 he said I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves he instructs them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves be wise as serpents and innocent as doves the times are evil says here in Ephesians. 
And so we're not to be frivolous with our time. We're to be always thinking about what we're doing. We should have the ability to discern, to make correct choices. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It tells us the Word of God equips us with every good work. So if the Word of God equips us for every good work, the natural assumption or a natural assumption should be that there's going to be some place in the Scriptures that's going to show us how to live day to day. It does in Proverbs. And Proverbs is a great place to, to, to search and to study if you want to find out about day-to-day living, how to conduct yourself day-to-day. Now, Proverbs is found in the Old Testament. I told you it's part of wisdom literature. It's in between Psalms and Ecclesiastics. And it begins, and I was thinking about this in class this morning when we were talking about Solomon and, and David and Solomon being David. So, But Proverbs starts off by telling us that, you know, Solomon is David's son. And he's the king of Israel. He's the author of, of, of Proverbs. If you remember, Solomon was granted wisdom by God. That's in Second Chronicles, <clears throat> chapter 1, 7 through 12. You remember what happened when God told Solomon that I'll grant you what you want. What do you want? And Solomon said that he wanted wisdom, that was most important to him. And he wanted it because he wanted to be able to govern God's people more efficiently, better. And God was really impressed with Solomon because he could have asked for anything. He could ask for any kind of personal gain, any kind of monetary gain. But his first thought was God's people and how to do right by them. And I was thinking about that too when we were talking about the type that he put God's people first and Jesus puts us first as well. So, But God was impressed with Solomon because of that. And because of that, he, he, he granted Solomon exceptional wisdom. He's the wisest man ever outside of God, outside Jesus himself. And he was also granted a lot of riches, prosperity. So he got it all by making the right choice. So even though God granted Solomon tremendous wisdom, it kind of seemed that Solomon had his ear to the ground anyways. He kind of was in the right direction. You know, he seemed like he was fertile soil to accept God's wisdom. Okay, and that's important too. Solomon became famous for his wisdom in the class you referenced in Matthew uh, about how Solomon was famous for his wisdom, people seeking him out, coming to see him. It says that he authored in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, it says he authored over 3,000 Proverbs. 3,000 Proverbs. And all of his Proverbs aren't in the book of Proverbs. And, and, and Solomon himself didn't. He wrote a good majority of the Proverbs. But chapter 30 is, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Agor, Ajor, 
chapter 30 is credited to Ezra, and chapter 31 is credited to King Lemuel. But other than that, Solomon's the author of Proverbs. And what's the purpose of the book of Proverbs? We, well, we've been talking a lot about wisdom, being wise, and teaching, and knowledge. Well, the first six verses of the book of Proverbs states its purpose, and that's to provide wisdom, in a nutshell, to provide wisdom. Chapter 1, to know wisdom and moral instruction and discern wise counsel, discern to have insight, to receive moral instruction in skillful living, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And what's equity? That's impartiality, being impartial towards people, and I think that's an Really important, but as a matter of fact, that's something that sometimes kind of gets underneath my skin with people. That God is not a respecter of persons, and neither should we. But we have friends, and we have our relatives. But in, in the broad sense of being Christian people, we should treat each other with impartiality. Okay, no one, is, no one is God. We're all striving for that perfection. Okay. Verse 4, to impart shrewdness to the morally naive and a discerning plan to the youth. That's something that uh, I wish I had had when I was younger. A discerning plan. With you in a minute. Kind of flipped my pad here. Okay. So, what he's saying, in other words, naive to the naive, shrewdness, prudence, to the young, knowledge and discretion, knowledge and insight, to the wise, increased learning, and to the understanding, wise counsel, to the understanding. That's someone who's open to being taught, understands the importance of being taught, and wants to be taught. If you're an understanding person, I'm going to have, give you sound teaching. So Proverbs is designed to promote godly wisdom, teaching us how to live wisely, to live righteously, treating others fairly, common sense to the ignorant. And I also want to point out that being ignorant doesn't mean that you're stupid or dumb. Being ignorant just means that you haven't been taught. That's what Proverbs is for, to teach us. So it's common sense to the ignorant, Sound advice to the youth and to the wise, even more wisdom. This is the thing that Proverbs has the ability to grant you. Okay. The word wise. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. I'm not a linguist. 
This is Hebrew, and it's Shechem. Shechem in Hebrew, which translates skillful or practical. It's an adjective. It's used in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then there's Shokma, which is a noun, which translates wisdom. So Shechem translates wise, being wise, being skillful, which is what the word wise means in Hebrew. David is described as being wise, being skillful. If you want to take it at its, its basic uh, definition, well, Jesus was a carpenter, so he had skill as a carpenter, being practical. Jacob is wisdom, experience, shrewdness. So Jacob, the wise, seeks after Shokma, wisdom. The wise pursue wisdom. Okay? And by that line of thinking, if the wise pursues, pursue wisdom, that means that God is going to grant wisdom to the wise. If the wise are seeking wisdom, God will grant you wisdom. Okay? And here's a kind of an example of how the, the words coalesce. In Exodus, uh, the 35th chapter, verses 31, verse 31, <clears throat> there's a man called Bezalel. Remember him? He was a skillful artisan who was chosen by the Lord to devise artistic designs for the ark, or excuse me, for the tabernacle, in building the tabernacle. And it says, He, God, filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. So, he was wise. He was skillful. And God added to that intelligence and knowledge and more craftsmanship. He was a man who was already skillful. He was already wise. And since God chose him, he must have had an idea of what was in this man's heart. And he granted him even more wisdom. Okay? So, seek wisdom, become wiser, seek more wisdom, God will grant him even more. I think that's what it's saying here. So, what is wisdom? We've been talking about what wise, wisdom, a lot of different examples. I think wisdom is the ability to make the right choices at the opportune time with consistency. I think the qualifier with consistency, that shows growth. If you're doing things, if you're at the point where you're doing things consistent, you're growing, you're understanding. Here's an example. Okay, if someone approaches you, it could be at work, it could be anywhere, it could be a person you don't even know in the street, starts talking to you in a rude manner, using abusive language to you, how are you going to react to that? You're going to strike back? Physically? with that person, 
Are you going to get right back up in their face and give it right back to them with abusive language? Or are you just going to, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let this person talk to me like that. What do you do? Well, you could take an example from Proverbs 15, verse 1, where it says, A gentle response turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a pearl of wisdom right there. And I know from experience, because I used to be the type of person who could give as good as I got. Okay? That was just my first instinct, not to take anything from anybody. Okay? And a lot of times that only escalated the situation. It didn't calm the situation down. It only made things only made things worse. And this kind of situation can take a lot of different forms not just a confrontation like that. Someone could approach you making sexual advances. Someone who's not your spouse. If you're not, you're not, if you're not married, they could approach you trying to make sexual advances. Someone want, might want you to engage in some sort of dubious, uh, duplicitous activity with them. Okay? That's happened to me too. If you have a foundation of wisdom that allows you to make the proper choice, the proper response in that situation, it helps you avoid making a lot of mistakes, especially when you're young. You know, when you're young, you think that you're bulletproof; nothing's going to hurt you. You're never going to die. Okay, you can do anything and you engage in reckless behavior. A lot of times if you don't have the ability to discern to do the right things, to make the right choices. In the first nine chapters of Proverbs are discourses on the value of wisdom. Okay. And I go back to the scripture here, 3, 13 through 18. It talks about the value of wisdom, how valuable wisdom is, Uh, the integrity of wisdom. And we really understand the value of wisdom when we use what we know, what we learn in practical, everyday ways. And it helps us to overcome stumbling blocks. And some of the stumbling blocks that we're warned against, again, are evil companionship, sexual immorality, and idleness. And I know a while back, Richard was talking about idleness. It's one of your things that's important to you, that we should learn about using our time correctly. Because when you're idle, you can get involved. I mean, you get bored. When you get bored, you're looking for excitement, right? And you can be enticed by anything when you got time on your hands. When you got time on your hands, man. 
I used to know guys that would just sit around and get high all day. That's what they did. They just sat around and got high all day, you know, and it would affect their job. There's one person, I worked with him as General Electric, but he had a, a part-time job. He was a roofer. And he was pretty good at it. But because all was on his mind was you know, smoking a joint, he slacked off on his job. He had a job fixing a man's roof, and they just kind of like left the work there. Took, off, took the money, you know, took what was paid, and, and left. So we don't want to be idle. We don't want to, things creep in into our lives when we're, when, when we're idle. Uh, but there's certain things that the book of Proverbs teaches against over and over and over again. And that's one. Sexual immorality is another. Evil companionship is another. Idleness, evil companionship, he's <laughs> got a toxic mix there for trouble, I would think. So how do we learn wisdom? We talked about the different ways. There's the trial and error method, right? We already said that that's not a good thing. Why? You can learn things through trial and error. Sometimes, you know, with, well, if you have little kids, you know, Pat and Chuck and Paul and myself, With our, with our daughter. She's got to learn sometimes by making mistakes. Okay? Even when she was learning to walk, it's kind of like trial and error. I get up and fall down and you get up and you, and you... So you can learn things through trial and error, but that's not the best way to learn and understand wisdom. Why? Because when you make errors in life, it's not like a little kid trying to walk. Okay, it's not like a, a little child that has their parents there to pick them up or if they're getting too close to the stove and the fire or the flame to pull them back. Okay. When you're out there on your own and you make errors, you make a mistake, there's consequences. You know, there's consequences. Now, sometimes you just have to live with those consequences. It might not be pleasant but you made your own bed, so to speak, so you have to lie in it, so you have to live with those consequences. But what if those consequences are, are dead? What if, you don't dis what if you don't survive those consequences? Then your life is over, okay? So trial and error, to me, is not a good way to learn wisdom, to understand wisdom. The best way is through advice and counsel, okay? hopefully from someone with understanding, spiritual understanding. And this is where, like, the book of Proverbs comes in. Like all of the scripture, Proverbs is the inspired word of God. You know, and in Proverbs, they're, they're expressing these kind of, like, I think the word's pithy, but these kind of concise little nuggets. They're really easy to understand. You know, if you're trying to, like, memorize scripture, they're really kind of easy to, to understand, Okay. They're easy to remember, 
Okay, and there have been generations of people who've lived by the Proverbs, lived out their lives by the Proverbs, positive results. So there's examples that they're true. What it says is true. They're tried and true. Now, if you remember Don Quixote, Cervantes and Don Quixote had a definition of a proverb. It's a short sentence based on long experience. That's exactly what it is. The book of Proverbs is God's wisdom. But is it easy? And can we just sit down with the book of Proverbs? We're going to just read this and we're going to become wise. We're going to go home this afternoon, Josh, man. Robin, Robin gave a sermon on Proverbs, so I'm going to go home and read Proverbs. I'm going to become as wise as Solomon. You know? No, it's not easy. Um, in Proverbs, the second chapter, verses 1 through 6. My child, if you receive my words and store up my commands within you, by making your ear attentive to wisdom and turning your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand how to fear the Lord, and you will discover knowledge about God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So it talks about seeking it like silver and searching for it like a hidden treasure. I don't think I'm going to leave here. It could happen, but I, I doubt it. I don't think I'm going to leave here, walk outside, and find a, a million-dollar lottery ticket, winning ticket on the ground, okay, or a, or a pot of gold sitting next to my car in the parking lot. Treasure is something that you have to search for. It's precious. It's not common. It's not eminent. It's something you have to really search for and dig for, you know. And the nuggets of wisdom in Proverbs are the same way. And, and that's good because if you're really searching, if you're really concentrating, trying to find uh, that wisdom... You're going to be fertile ground for receiving that wisdom. You're going to be open, open to it. It's, it's, it's worth the effort. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives to all generously, without reproach. And it says it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. For that person was not supposed that he would receive anything from God. So the wise seek wisdom. The wise by extension of the faithful. And God grants wisdom to those who seek in faith. 
myself, I kind of like things in kind of a concise way so I can understand them. And I'm not a sage or anything like that. But I've kind of, these are just kind of like my, my rules. They're not necessarily script from scripture, but they're based on my understanding of scripture. How I would, if I want to give you some advice, I just want to leave you with this. in your day-to-day dealings. When you're dealing with people, be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Speak truthfully. Don't be a liar. Use your word in the direction of truth and love. Don't take anything personal. What others say and do, that's a projection of their own reality. I think Jesus is a great example of this. You know, when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and the people we had to deal with, you imagine if he took things personally? Do you imagine that? The way they were attacked, he'd have to go someplace and kind of by himself and crawl, kind of curl up into the fetal position. If he took the way they were attacking him, he didn't take things personally. Okay? He realized the way they were treating him was a projection of their own reality. He was saying, I know the hearts of man. He knew their hearts and where they were coming from. And if you, and if you live that way, you won't have to go through needless suffering. People take things per- personally from, you know, and let people get under their skin and they suffer for it. Don't make assumptions. Communicate with each other. Be clear with each other. Yeah. And hear what the other person is saying. A lot of times we're talking and we kind of listen to what person is saying, but we're not really hearing them. Maybe we hear we're not listening. Okay? It's the kind of thing where someone is just speaking to you and you're already instead of listening to what they're saying, you're kind of like gathering ammunition for your comeback. Okay? So hear what people are saying. Communicate with each other so we understand there's no misunderstandings. You know? You avoid a lot of sadness and a lot of trauma. And finally, always do your best. That's what God wants from us, to do our best. Now, your best is kind of relative because if you're healthy, your best is going to be different than if you're ill, if you're sick. Okay? But regardless, whether it's your best when you're healthy or best when you're... I think I could a good example of that. I mean, he was an athlete. I mean, if you're 
running on all cylinders, you're going to give more than if you have like a, a pulled muscle or a sprained ankle. But you're still out there giving your best if they need you. Okay, so you always do your best. I think that's what God wants, regardless, just simply do your best. So that's my little bit of advice based on scriptural teaching. And uh, it's our practice. We have a song selected. Josh is going to lead. And it's to give people a chance to think about <clears throat> where they are in life. Um, maybe you want prayers of the congregation. Maybe just something on your mind, something that's been eating at you that you want to talk about. And there are people here that are more than willing to talk to you have to give a shoulder to to lean on and, and to pray for you, you know, for the things that you feel that, that you need. Um, so that's what the song is for. You don't have to come forward publicly. You can do it privately. I mean, any way that you see fit. That's what the song is for, to give you a chance to think about those kind of things. So if you stand, always sing. Mm-hmm.